Hello, everybody. This week's parish is Parish's Mikates. And the parish begins with telling us that at the end of two years, after the story of the Sar Hamashkim and the Sar Oifim, Pari has a dream, and Yosef's salvation begins. He gets pulled out of the pit, and he becomes the viceroy of Egypt. This famous Medrash, the Medrash tells us that what were these two years? What was this gap of two years? It says, Medrash, this is a punishment for Yosef that Yosef asked the Sar Hamashkim to remember him. And because he asked him and he kind of relied on the help of the Sar Hamashkim and didn't have full and Hashem, he got punished and he had two years added to his jail sentence. And the Meshachachmah asks, where does the Medrash see this in the Psukim? What's the Makar, what's the source, so to speak, in the text to see this in the Psukim? He says a very interesting explanation. He says that everything else in the story makes sense. If we look at the story after we see the end of the story, everything else that Yosef went through makes a lot of sense. He says, why? Why does Yosef, when he gets sold to Egypt, why does he end up in the house of Petifar the Sarah Tabachim? Drashi says means he was in charge of all the cattle and all the meat production in Egypt. And later, Yosef goes to jail. <clears throat> he ends up with who? He's sitting there and he's serving, taking care of the Sarah Oifim, which literally means the guy in charge of the baking. But the Meshachachim explains it means he was a guy in charge of all the agriculture. He was in charge of all the crops. And he was the minister, basically, of agriculture of the country. And the Sar HaMashkim, says the Meshachachma, was he was the guy in charge. He was the minister of all the wine production, all the grape harvest. And says the Meshachachma, Yosef was put in touch with these people. He spent all these years hanging out with these guys for a very specific reason, because now we're going to see in this exparsha how Yosef's going to come in charge of the entire country of Egypt, which was at that time basically the world's superpower. And he's going to have to run an entire country overnight. Where is he going to get the skills and the knowledge of all the intricacies of government and policies and politics? Where is he going to know all that from? So Kaj Baruch Hu planted him in the office in the house of Asar Tabachim to hang out with the Sar HaMashkim and the Sar Oifim for all these years so he could learn everything he needs to know to be able to fulfill his role as the viceroy of Egypt. And that was all the Hashgach of Kaj Baruch Hu the entire time. And that all makes a lot of sense once we see the story at the end. The only question is the two years after the Sarah Mashkim and the Sarah Oifim leave jail, now Yosef's literally just sitting and rotting in jail. What's that for? That makes no sense. Says the Medrash, it must be, that's a punishment. Those two years were a punishment for not having the proper token, and that's why we have those two years, and that's the source of the Medrash for this chat. Now, when it comes to the actual Medrash, that Yosef's getting punished for doing, for asking the Sahamashkin to remember him, all the Mepharshim ask that, what do you mean? Why, what did Yosef do wrong? We all know that a person is obligated to do his childless. A person has to try and put in his best effort. So why is Yosef getting punished for asking the Sahamashkin? Seemingly it's the right thing to do. And many, many different answers given. There's a famous answer of the Beis Halevi. The Beis Halevi explains the Medrash that Medrash is telling us that every person as they grow and on the level that they reach of betachin, they're required to do less and less hishtadlas. The more a person is able to see HaKadosh Baruch Hu openly in this world, the less hishtadlas he should be doing on his level, he should realize that he has to do less hishtadlas. And therefore, Yosef, on the level of betachin that Yosef managed to reach, even such a minimal amount of hishtadlas was considered too much, and that's why he's being punished.
the Bali Musar say that yes, he should ask the Sar Hamashkim to remember him. It is proper Shalas, but the issue was that Yosef asks him twice. He says Kiim Zechartani twice to the Sar Hamashkim. And when he keeps asking, when asking a second time, that already shows a certain sign of over reliance on the Sar Hamashkim. He feels like everything is invested in this guy, and that's the issue. That's where he starts to go above and beyond the, the proper necessary shalas, and he kind of showed that he was relying on the Saramashkim actually to be the one to get him out. The Chazanish famously says a whole different idea. He says that a person is obligated to do his shalas. That's true. However, there's things that are considered grasping for straws. If a person has, you know, a guy needs some money. And he's trying to look for a job and he's applying for a job. He's doing all the normal proper shalas. That's 100% fine. That's a mitzvah. But to go and start buying scratch-offs and buying lottery tickets, that's wrong. It's bad shalas. Oh, it might, you might win. It doesn't make a difference. That's not normal shalas. You know, based on probability, it's not going to be the way you're going to get your money. And therefore, you're grasping a short. You're showing that you basically gave up on a Baruch for helping you. You have to just try because who knows? Maybe this will help. And that, he says, is what was going on over here. He says that Yasef asking the Saham Mashkin, who himself was in jail and just barely got out and, and, and avoided being killed, that he's going to be the guy who's going to stick his neck out for you, Yasef, in jail to get you out of, out of jail. It's too far-fetched. It's not, it's not a realistic and, and, and normal Ishtadlis. And it showed that Yasef had, so to speak, given up and he was grasping at straws. And that is the lack of betachin, that to realize that, look, I do my normal thing and the rest... I can rely on Kaddish Baruch Hu. I heard a new shot this year, and the Sefer Drash Mardukai, he brings that the so to speak the mistake of Yosef was as follows: the Yosef comes to the Sarah Mashkim, and he tells him that you know the three the three vines. These are signs that there's going to be three days from now. Pare is going to is going to call you up, and he's going to have a judgment. And please remember me to Pare. He says that why is Yosef asking now? about an event that's in three days from now. In three days' time, come and ask the Sarah Mashkim, by the way, today you're going to get out. Please mention me to Pari. Why is he asking already now? Says the Josh Marika that shows that Yasef gave up on the fact that he could be rescued in the next three days. He feels like he's a shore in jail until the Sarah Mashkin gets out. And then he's going to hope that maybe the Sarah Mashkin can get him out. But that means he gave up on Akash Baruch being able to save him right now. And that was the time on Yosef. That Gosh Baruch Hu can save a person at any second. A person should never give up the look. For now, I'm for sure stuck. That's not true. At any second, Gosh Baruch Hu could save him. And that was the mistake of Yosef to give up on those three days of salvation that Gosh Baruch Hu could have saved him. Further on in the parasha, the parasha tells us how Pari tells Yosef his dream and Yosef interprets it. And one of the aspects of Pari's dream is that when the fat cows get swallowed by the skinny, emaciated cows, you can't even tell after they've been swallowed, the skinny cows look exactly like they did before. There's no remnant and no, and no way to discern that they swallowed these big cows that are much larger than them. And Yosef explains the power. What that represents is, is that when the years of the famine are going to come, there's going to be no remnant and no, no way to even tell that there were years of plenty before them. That's how extreme and intense the famine will be. Now, the Meshachachma asks that the truth be told, it wasn't exactly like that. Because we know, looking later on in the parasha, that in fact, 
Mitzrayim, the Egyptians became very, very wealthy during the years of the famine because they stored up all the excess that they got during the years of plenty, and then they sold it to the rest of the world, and that's where Egypt managed to get all the money and gold and silver of all the surrounding nations because of the plenty that they stored and they sold during the years of famine. So how can you say that there was no remnant and no way to tell that there were years of plenty before that, but that's actually what kept them and what made them rich during the years of famine? And he explains as follows. He says that you'll notice that this detail, the fact that the skinny cows swallow the fat cows, and there's no way to tell that the skinny cows had the fat cows, is only said in regards to the dream of the cows. When it comes to the dream of the stalks of wheat, it doesn't repeat this detail. Why so? So he says, we know that Yosef tells Pari, why does it, why does Hashem send you two dreams? If in essence, it's really one message. So Yosef says, because Hashem was telling you that it's all imminent. It's going to happen right now. And therefore, I was doubled over to tell him that it's happening immediately. Anything that was not doubled over, says Master Chachma, is because it's not imminent. Certain details are not imminent. And that's why this detail, that it won't be noticeable, so to speak, the benefits of the years of satiety during the years of famine is not imminent. What does he mean? Says Meshach Hakim as follows. When did Mitzrayim lose everything it absolutely gained during the years of the Seva, the years of Sejidi? That happened during Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Because you see, why did Hashem make this whole story of the years of Sejidi and the years of famine? So on a basic level, we understand, because this is what pushed Yosef's brothers and his father to move down to Egypt. Why did the whole world have to come and give all their money to Egypt? What was that for? That's very obvious, because this is going to be what makes Mitzrayim the richest country. And that way, when the Jews leave Egypt after 210 years, and they clean out Mitzrayim and take all the money and all the gold and silver, first when they leave Egypt and they borrow everything, and second of all, when they get the, the Yamsuf, what allowed Egypt to be that rich, what allowed Egypt to have all that money and silver, all came during this time, during the years of famine and years of, uh, and years of plenty. And therefore, when did it get cleaned out? That final cleaning out of Egypt, that nothing that was gained during the years of plenty, when did that happen? That happened in Atheism and Shire. Therefore, the dream was true. Anything they gained during the years of plenty was not going to be there eventually. But that wasn't imminent. That was going to only happen after the Klai Solis during Atheism and Shire. And therefore, it wasn't doubled over. So now, everything clicks in the story. It was true that it got cleaned out. It did not happen imminently. And Yosef, obviously, is not going to tell this detail to Barrett. But that being said, for us, we have an obligation to understand and take a lesson that Akash Baruch Hu is already working what's going to happen and what's going to be for our benefit hundreds of years in advance. A famine that happened 210 years before was all put into place so that Klai Yisrael will receive what they deserve when they leave Mitzrayim 210 years later. After Yosef finishing interpreting the dream of Pare, he goes ahead and gives Pare some advice. And he tells him, therefore, Pare should see fit 
to appoint a guy, a man, over the land of Egypt to start saving up the food. And he goes on to explain his whole plan of how they're going to make it through the famine. And all of them are to struggle with, Yosef was called in to interpret the dream. Who, so to speak, told him all of a sudden to start giving Pari advice on how to deal with it? Seemingly, Yosef is out of bounds. What's going on over here in the Parsha? My father showed me a beautiful Maral Diskin. The Maral Diskin explains as follows. He says, we know earlier in the Parsha, that it says that when Pari had this dream, he asked all of his advisors, all of his stargazers, all of his necromancers, to try to interpret the dream for him, and no one was able to. And the Maral Diskin explains, you know why no one was able to properly interpret the dream? Why was no one able to guess seven years of famine and seven years of hunger, which even though intuitively, it seems pretty obvious, you know, crops, cattle, getting skinny, getting fat, it's relatively, relatively simple. So why didn't they pick it up? Why no one guessed that? So he says, because when these looked in the stars and in the, you know, all the, all their other methods, they were able to see the future. And in the future, Really, there was not seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. It was only seven years of plenty and two years of famine. Because as we know, once Yaakov came down to Mitzrayim, the hunger stopped. Therefore, they couldn't see seven years of famine in the dream because as far as they could tell, seven years of famine were not going to happen. And that's why they were not able to interpret, to interpret the dream properly. Yosef, though, was able to understand that Hashem is showing power on one hand what's supposed to happen. That if everything is left as is, there will be seven years of hunger and seven years of famine. However, Yosef understood that Kaj Baruch Hu is telling Pare not just the future, but it's more of a nevuah. It's a prophecy with a commandment attached. Do whatever you could to avoid this famine and make it not happen. Step one, store up food so people don't die during the famine. And Eventually, Yosef knows, Yaakov is going to come down and the famine will end early. Therefore, Yosef has the ability to tell him what the dream represents, so to speak, in pure, you know, left alone. This is what's going to happen. That's what the dream represents. But the dream is not simply meant to tell you what's going to happen. It's meant to give you a message of what you're supposed to do. And that's why Yosef steps in. And tells Pare, therefore, this is what you have to do. You have to appoint somebody. Because Yosef understood that it wasn't just a dream of, 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 of telling you the future, but it was actually a commandment of what he should do. And that's why Pare's, so to speak, stargazers, Nemos, they all agreed to Yosef's, Yosef's interpretation, because now it all made sense why they're not seeing the famine in the future. But the dream does seem to fit with seven years of famine. And that, says the Maral Diskin, is what Pare says, that you see he's Ish Asheruach Alekimbay. He's a man who's connected to God, he has prophecy, because he's not just telling us the future. He's telling us a prophecy, what Hashem wants us to know and wants us to do. And that's what he saw in the words of Yosef. just want to add one last thought about Hanukkah. Yisaifer Yisaid B'Shayrish HaAvayda brings some Tikkune Zayar that one of the allusions to Hanukkah in the Torah is because we know Hanukkah stands for that they arrested on Chafhei, the 25th day of Kislev. And he says that the Pasuk Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekinu Hashem Echad, has 25 letters in that Pasuk. 
And that's an allusion, says Azayar, to the Yom Tev of Hanukkah, the Kaddish Baruch who rested in, back in Klai Yisrael, back in the Mesa Mikdash. And that's what Azayar says. Now, the question is, what is the deeper connection between Hanukkah and Shema Yisrael? So I saw in the Sefer Yerich Lamayadim, he explains as follows. He says that we know that the Pasuk tells us that when the Jews would go out to battle, and they go out to war, so the Kayin would get up and speak to them before they go into battle. He would say to them, Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel, you're going out to fight against your enemies, etc. And the Gemara in Saita Amembezim and Aleph asks, why does he choose to use the word specifically of Shema Yisrael? And the Gemara says in the name of Yechanan that this is to allude to us and to the Jewish people that if they do not have any merits, they literally have no schosim except for the one mitzvah of Shema Yisrael, they'll still be victorious in battle. That mitzvah alone is enough to guarantee them victory in battle. And the Mepharshim explained, why is it that the mitzvah of Shema Yisrael specifically has the ability to give them victory in battle more than any other mitzvah? And they say as follows, that we know in the Sefer Nefesh HaChayim, Rechayim Velazhner explains that there's a special segula, that if a person finds himself in a very dangerous situation, there's enemies around him who want to harm him, there's a special segula that a person should stop and repeat in his mind and focus on the concept of Ein Oida Milvada. There's nobody else except Rakesh Barfu, which means that a person has to stop and, convince, and kind of kind of sit there and talk to himself and, and, and understand and ingrain in himself that there's really no other force in this world that can do anything to him unless Akash Baruch decided so. And really, there's nothing but Akash Baruch in the world. Everything comes from Akash Baruch. There's no one besides him. And he's the only one who has the ability to do anything to him. And when a person does that, says Nefesh what happens is that Akash Baruch removes the ability of other forces of nature from having any power over him. Akash Baruch makes it that the only one who, so to speak, has any power over the person is a Baruch and all the other harmful forces in nature, all his enemies and all the all these bad things that are going around him, they have no ability to control him. The only one who can control him is Akash Baruch because when a person recognizes that and lives with that clarity that Akash Baruch is the only one who controls everything, that Akash Baruch makes it that nature lets go of him and no one else has, has a shlit over him. And it's famous that Chaim Brisker used to tell his son, the Briskerov, to do this gula, and the Briskerov said it worked for him many times. Said when he was sent to the Russian draft office, and he just sat there thinking, Ain't I'm about it the whole time, and he managed to avoid the draft. And when he was escaping from the Nazis, he took a train from Warsaw to Vilna. He said the whole entire train ride, he sat there focusing on Ain't I'm about it. And one time something happened, and he stopped thinking about it. And all of a sudden, a Nazi came over to start walking towards him on the train. And he quickly went back and started thinking about it again. And Baruch Shem, he was saved. And it's a well-known school that a person finds himself in a time of danger to focus on this point that nobody else has any control over him, only Akash Baruch. And that, says the Yerach Lamaidim, is really what we're saying every day when we say Shema Yisrael. We're saying Shema Yisrael, Hashem Aleikeinu, Hashem Echad. Akash Baruch Hu is our Aleikeinu. He's the only one who has power over us. And he's one. There's nothing else in this world except Akash Baruch And Sefer Tzor Amar says in Parashat Shaftim that the Chashmanayim did not have the ability to spend a lot of time learning Torah. They were being persecuted, they were fighting wars, and they weren't able to spend time properly learning and doing everything that they wanted to do. What they did was they focused on this concept. They focused on the idea that they're fighting for the Ichud of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name, that they're fighting 
to prove that Gash Baruch was one is that he's the only one in this world, and there's no one else, and nothing else has, has a right to kind of try to you know push Gash Baruch out. And that he says was the skula was the was the special miracle that enabled the Kashmir to be victorious over their enemies was that they focused on this idea that Gash Baruch is one and there's nothing else in this world. And that says the Yerach Lamaidim is what the Zayar means that Hanukkah is alluded to in the Pasuk of Yisrael is that Hanukkah brought out this idea. The Kashmir brought out this idea that a person has the ability, a person has the mission to recognize that there's nothing else in this world except for Kash Barku. Kash Barku controls everything. And the more a person does that, the more a person gains that clarity, the more Kash Barku takes the, so to speak, the problems away from him. No one else can, can harm him. And he's completely in the hands of Kash Barku. You always like to truly see Yeshua's and salvation for us and the entire Jewish people. We should all have a wonderful Hanukkah and a wonderful Shabbos.